Obviously, it's out of his eyes. Um, I always try to make it work with David's sermon. It doesn't always work, but we'll see.
how much you that's we could go home now that's basically what I was going to preach on today. Uh, we talked Wednesday Thursday Friday and Wednesday and he wanted to know with my sermon and, and uh, wow perfect thank you a few years ago we reworked our mortgage and when you do that if you've ever done that or tried to get a mortgage they the bank wants to know a little bit about you and they wanted a list of what we had and what we owed. They wanted to know really what we were worth to see if we were qualified. What we were worth. Every now and then I see an athlete sign a new contract. And uh, it's interesting trying to figure out what they make in a month. And some of them make more in a month than many of us will make in a lifetime. Their numbers are staggering and they're changing. And this is the latest info that I could find from Forbes for 2018. But a new one signs a contract every day, so this might be dated by now. But according to Forbes, the top ten are Floyd Mayweather in boxing with boxing promotion and endorsements. He makes $285 million a year. That's $780,000 a day. Lionel Messi, the soccer player, makes $111 million a year. Cristiano Ronaldo, a soccer player, makes $108 million a year. Conor McGregor makes martial arts $99 million a year. Neymar, a soccer player, $90 million a year. LeBron James basketball 80s only makes $86 million a year. We might take up a special offering after church. <laughs> Tennis player Roger Federer, $77 million. Basketball player Steph Curry, $76.9 million. The first football player on our list, surprisingly to me, was Matt Ryan of the Atlanta Falcons. Harry, is that correct? 67.3 million dollars. And then a Georgia Bulldog, Matthew Stafford, is number two on the list, number 10 on our list. He makes 59.5 million dollars, which is only $163,000 a day. So to put it into perspective, if you've got a child, you want to push into athletics. It seems like soccer might be the way to go. But Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, is worth, maybe as of yesterday, $112 billion. And Amazon didn't exist that many years ago, did it? The UPS man did not come to my house three times a day several years ago. <laughs> now he does. <laughs> To keep it into perspective, for Floyd Mayweather to have Jeff Bezos' money today, if Jeff Bezos does not make another dime, and Floyd Mayweather does not spend another dime, he's going to have to fight for the next 393 years. That's the difference. So today, with that said, we're going to talk about what we're worth. 
And I'm not going to even ask you to pull out your checkbook, I promise. The U.S. Bureau of Chemistry and Soils calculated what we are all worth, it's close depending on our size, in chemical and mineral composition in our body. You are 65% oxygen and 18% carbon and 10% hydrogen and 3% nitrogen and 1.5% calcium, 1% phosphorus, and then your traces of potassium and sulfur and sodium and chlorine and magnesium and iron and iodine. And then additionally, there are small traces of fluorine, silicon, manganese, zinc, copper, aluminum, and arsenic. That's just unmarried men. Uh, together, those add up <laughs> sorry, uh, to, together, those add up to under a dollar. So next time you do a balance sheet, there's another dollar for you to put on there. But it gets better in a recent article in Wired Magazine. The author calculates that your lungs are worth $58,200 each. Your heart will fetch fifty-seven dollars Your kidney's good for another $91,400. But even more valuable than the organs are the body's fluids, tissues, and proteins. Your liver has a market value of fifty-four dollars but it's also the source of a bit more than 22 grams of something called transferrin, which the body uses to process iron. And at $18,900 a gram, that's a total of $419,920.20 of the market value yesterday. Your DNA, according to the article, could fetch $9 million. While your bone marrow is your most valuable possession, worth $23 million all by itself. And so Wired Magazine says your market value is $45,618,575.82. How about that? Thought you were broke, didn't you? You are not. <laughs> but as we know, our worth is not tied up in anything like that. And we're going to talk about that today. Before we go further, let's pray. Father, through your word and through your spirit, we ask that you would remind us and convince us of how special we really are. And it's because of you. So together today we praise you. We thank you. We give you credit for giving us breath and life. Forgive us if we have ever undervalued our connection to you. If we have forgotten. Lord remind us of that today. And let us live in that light. Always. In Jesus name. Amen. We need to know that our worth is connected to God. Before Jeannie puts it on the screen. What is the first Bible verse. Most Christians ever hear. Or learn. As a child. John 3.16 is what I heard probably most of all, and that might be the first one that I learned. Say it together. There, we'll put this translation up there. So we're all on the same page. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you're wondering what you are worth, 
it says that God loved the world, which you're a part of so much, that He gave His only Son. It's spelled out even more in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20, about us, about you, about me. For you were bought with the price, therefore glorify God in your body. Give God glory all the time. What's the price? Let's get to 1 Peter chapter 1. For you know, or you should know, that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors, the sin nature. He was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. You have great worth. Turn to your neighbor if you've got a neighbor and tell them you have great worth. If you don't have a neighbor, I will tell you, you have great worth. As I tell you that, and as I want you to remember that, the devil wants to interrupt me and interrupt you and remind us of our failures. Don't you think that's true? When we start to think that God loves us and that Christ gave Himself for us and shed His blood for us, other thoughts come knocking in our brain. We may have poor self-images, something in our past we're not proud of, and we've convinced ourselves maybe that we're not qualified and we're not good enough and we're worth very little. And as my friend Tim Smith said, that is a lie from the pits of hell and it smells like smoke. But if you have those kinds of thoughts, it'll hurt your family, it'll hurt you, it'll hurt your church, your ministry, your witness, your future. And it insults God who paid the highest price for you and for me. As we grow older, it might be very hard to accept the truth that God loves us so much. And sometimes we can't fathom that love. We try to use reason and we think about our history and our past and we think, well, maybe so, maybe not. But as children, when we heard about it, we would accept it. It is interesting how children will receive an unearned gift. If you go to a kid at Christmas, and you decide you're going to spend every dime you have on them and mortgage the house and spend that too. And you say, here is a brand new Porsche. I know you can't drive it now, but one day you'll be able to drive it. And here's a new yacht, and here's a slip for it on the ocean, and I bought you a condo in Charleston so you can ride around and park there. And, and here's a horse, and I also got you a horse farm in Kentucky so you can race them. And here's a jet, a Learjet, so you can fly to Kentucky and play with your horses, and on and on and on. And when you're finished, the kid will go, what else is there? <laughs> Won't they? Anything else? <laughs> but as adults, you've perhaps given a friend a little thing, and they say, oh, I can't. What happened between, is there anything else, and I can't accept that? Something messed us up between those two. 
and it's not right, and it's not fair, and you are worth way more than you ever thought because of your connection to God. John chapter 13 is a perfect example of letting God love us when we think maybe we should. Before the Passover celebration, we are told in John 13, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave the world, return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, and now he loved them to the very end. It was time for supper. The devil had already prompted Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything, that he had come from God and returned to God. So Jesus got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water in a basin. He began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. And when Jesus came to Simon Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you don't understand now what I'm doing, but someday you will. No, no, Peter protested, you'll never wash my feet. I'm not good enough. I don't deserve it. I've messed up. You're God. I'm a sinner. Don't touch my feet. Jesus replied, unless I wash you, you won't belong to me. Let me love you, Jesus says to Peter. I heard this phrase years ago, and I've always remembered it. It's hard to hug a stiff child. If you've ever tried, it's hard to hug a stiff child. And Peter was a stiff child until Jesus said, Look, I love you, and you're going to let me, or you'll have no part of me. And then Peter gets it the way we ought to get it. And in verse 9, he exclaimed, Wash my hands, my head, not in my, give me a bath, whatever you want to do, not just my feet. What a transformation in Peter. And I think it's a transformation that many in the kingdom need to have. To let God love us and to know that we are of great worth. We need to live in the light of that. You and I have a great responsibility to let God love us and give us worth. There are so many stories. Eddie Rickenbacker was shot down in World War II along with the crew of his B-17. It was October 1942 and they were in a life raft. Actually, they were in three life rafts in the Pacific. Nine men, three rafts, one month at sea. Every day they had devotion. And one morning after devotion, Rickenbacker felt something land on him. It was a seagull. I mean, they were way out to sea. It was amazing to have a bird there. They got the bird and they ate the bird and used parts of the bird to catch some more fish. Ricky Becker said it was a miracle, middle of the Pacific. Well, they said that the greatest miracle took part in the life of crew member James Whitaker. He wasn't a believer until God sent them a seagull. And Whitaker said, there we were in the middle of a great war with all of these things going on and God thought of us. Sense of bird. But isn't God like that? He goes to extremes to save us. 
to extremes to get our attention. God sent Whitaker a message. And he sends us messages all the time if we would just look like your song. Some of you remember Steve and Candy Lowe. Uh, they are in Detroit now. Candy's in Florida. Steve travels the world. But when Steve went to Texas A&M, uh, he was distant from God and was struggling and wondering where God was. And Steve says he could probably take you to the place at A&M and stand there and say, God, where are you? He was by himself one day. God, where are you? said just right after he said that, a car stopped and invited him to a campus crusade for Christ. Within seconds. Got Steve's attention and changed his life. Changed his eternal life. And we all have our stories because God loves us that much. When you woke up this morning, I wonder if you thought, gee, I'm special. Maybe not. I hope you do tomorrow morning. If you're connected to Christ, if you're a believer, if you've accepted that grace and love, you're very special. Let's pray to God.